At a time when China is banning even more Taiwanese exports, the spotlight is now on potential help from Taiwan's neighbor, Japan. At a bilateral forum on Sunday, Su Jia-chen, the head of the Taiwan-Japan Relations Association, said he had been in touch with the Japanese government. Su promised that pretty soon, more of Taiwan's agricultural and aquatic products would be in Japanese markets. The forum was attended by Hagiuda Koichi, the most senior Japanese ruling party politician to visit Taiwan in almost two decades. The de facto embassies of Taiwan and Japan on Sunday jointly held the Taiwan-Japan Trade and Economic Sustainability Forum. Su Jia-chen, the chairman of the Taiwan-Japan Relations Association, spoke about China's recent suspensions of many Taiwanese aquatic, agricultural and beverage exports. China prohibits these exports from entering the country. These moves violate the regulations of the World Trade Organization. We will export all the delicious agricultural, aquatic and food products from Taiwan to Japan as soon as possible. The policy chief of Japan's ruling Liberal Democratic Party, Hagiuda Koichi, led a delegation to attend the event. It was the highest level visit from a Japanese ruling party politician in nearly 20 years, and it was of special significance. A friend in need is a friend indeed. It is absolutely unacceptable to use economic power in a way that violates international rules. The CPTPP is an agreement with high standards. I myself support Taiwan's participation. A Taiwan contingency is a contingency for Japan. In other words, it is also a contingency for the Japan-U.S. alliance. The correctness of these words from former Prime Minister Abe has been proven by China's own actions. Hagi Uda also revealed that his trip would include a visit to TSMC, and he hoped that Taiwan and Japan can strengthen cooperation in the semiconductor industry. The semiconductor industry represented by TSMC, of which Taiwan is very proud, serves as an important part of the world's supply chains. If dialogues can be held at regular intervals between high-level officials and between private entities, the relationship between the two sides will get closer. From trade and economic relations to regional politics to the tourism industry, these close interactions between Taiwan and Japan are taking their friendship to new heights. Many small businesses have taken a hit over the past few years due to the pandemic. In response, the Ministry of Digital Affairs has launched T-Cloud Marketplace, which helps brick-and-mortar shops establish themselves online in the virtual world. On Sunday, Digital Minister Audrey Tang dropped in on a popular oyster vermicelli soup restaurant in Banqiao to find out how the business was faring under the new system. Want to order a bowl of vermicelli soup? Easy! Take out your cell phone, place an order in the Line app, and it's done in less than 10 seconds. Digital Affairs Minister Audrey Tang dons an apron and becomes a server at a popular oyster vermicelli soup restaurant in Banqiao. Many small businesses, such as food vendors, have taken a hit in the past few years due to COVID. Their income has taken a dive. To help these shops, the Administration for Digital Industries has set up T-Cloud Marketplace, an online platform. 
Not only can you place meal orders and telecommute on it, businesses can also purchase cloud solutions and apply for government subsidies. Now more than a year after the platform's launch, Minister Tang is visiting businesses that have joined the program to see the results. When we introduce any digital transformation tools, the most important aspect is our friends on the ground and whether they're having an easier time and peace of mind. I experienced the whole process just now, and it was indeed labor-saving and reassuring. I think when it comes to digital transformation, the first step is the most important one. As we open the country and welcome tourists, it is very important that we get into the habit of using mobile payments so that foreign guests will find it really convenient when they arrive. Having signed up to T-Cloud Marketplace for just a year, the owner gushed about how much time the system has saved her. Within 10 seconds, we get the order. Compared with taking a phone call, which takes about three to five minutes, the difference is huge. And since the information on it is very clear, we don't need to verify information with the customer. People who come into our store are used to the conventional way of ordering, but customers online are highly receptive to this new way. So you're actually expanding your customer base and not changing the habits of existing customers. This is using technology to suit the habits of a new generation. Taiwan is pushing for digital transformation so it can create a new economic model for the post-pandemic world. And now a restaurant in Taipei that goes the extra mile for the community. Julie Ming runs a re-gifting charity project in Zhongzheng district. Unlike managers of many free meal programs, she keeps precise records of all the donations and expenses, and she puts them on a wall. Donors to the program know exactly where their money is spent. Although it's a lot of extra work, Zhu feels it's worth it to build up the community spirit. A bowl of pork chops and three side dishes are served free of charge to someone who needs it. The restaurant owner invites customers to give a free meal to someone in need. Zhu Liming has run this eatery in Taipei's Zhongzheng district for 15 years. Two years ago, with encouragement from a friend, she began this gifted-on project. A social welfare organization gives out charity meal vouchers for older adults and those in need. Most unusual of all, Zhu sticks a detailed breakdown of her accounting on the restaurant wall. I didn't do this table at first. See, I've got the whole year, the monthly accounts for a year. I just honestly thought, if I was a customer or a donor, what would I want to see? The details of monthly income and expenditure, as well as the breakdown of the gifted-on meals over a whole year, are all on the wall for everyone to see. Who paid what and where was the money spent? Zhu makes it all transparent in an effort to reassure donors. There was an older woman who got a red envelope from someone younger than her, and she gave it to us. She was really happy to think I could do good with that red envelope. We had a beneficiary who's a single mother. She came here to get meals with a voucher from the Zhongzheng Social Welfare. A few days ago, she suddenly got 1,000 NT and gave it to me, saying, write this up for me. Zhu even gives out digital receipts for donors. Every donation is recorded clearly. When the restaurant shuts at night, Zhu sits down to add up the accounts. 
She also helps direct homeless people to organizations that can assist them. We had an older man who wasn't in a great state mentally when he first came, so we sent him back to a social worker. I said, we've got this case. In the end, he came back a few days later and thanked me. He'd got a whole new set of clothes. This restaurant owner hopes her charity project will be a force for good in the local community. A simple meal can mean all the difference and spark a ripple of kindness spreading far and wide. Around the world, urban farming spaces are becoming increasingly common. For some, it is a way to supplement food production for city dwellers. For others, it is simply about the therapeutic effects of farming and the reduction of stress. However, despite the benefits, there are also many challenges, such as land ownership and the busy nature of city life that leaves little time for recreational pursuits. Join us tonight as we hear from those pushing for urban farming spaces in Taiwan and the obstacles they encounter. Here's our Sunday special report. Surrounding this lush green rapeseed garden is Taipei's affluent Tianhu district. With a bustling department store off to the right, the garden produces quite the contrast. A hen clucks loudly, drowning out the sounds of people nearby. As if responding to the people, the hen breaks the barrier between city and farmland. We also have to work, so throughout the week, it's basically just the people who live nearby who will come here and do this farming. If we're busy with work, then on Saturday and Sunday, we'll all come together here as a group and work on it. Sharing the harvest is a source of joy for these part-time farmers, but their urban farm is also a source of frustration at times. Lots of people pass through here to look around, and there are people who come here at night when they're out for a walk. Naturally, when they see the beautiful okra plants, the beautiful eggplants, the vibrant red-hot peppers, they inevitably want to pick a little to take with them. We put up signs, which we hope will encourage people not to do this. However, even if we catch people picking the crops, we can't report them to the police. We can only try to persuade them not to do so. However, this unfortunate setback is not enough to destroy the passion these volunteers have for farming. It's like what I told my sons. I grow okra and sweet potato leaves today so that they can eat them. Sharing the harvest with family members makes farming more fun. And what is harvested is more than just produce. According to data from the United Nations, as of 2020, the percentage of the world's population living in cities was 56 percent. By 2050, that number is projected to grow to 68 percent. Some countries have already begun promoting urban farming programs. 
它也是跟呃整个大台北。Take Seoul for example. Overall, it's a very similar city to Taipei geographically. Both are within basins. Over in South Korea, there are lots of urban areas in the basin. In November 2011, the government there passed the Act on Development in support of urban agriculture. This act is really special. It not only promotes agriculture, but also everyday farming, community farming, and so on. Urban farming can be a great pastime, and in some countries, the practice has even contributed to food self-sufficiency for urban residents. Cuba, over the past 30 or 40 years, was impacted by the Cold War, and it was prohibited from importing oil and prohibited from having all manner of exchanges with Western countries. Therefore, urban farming there is extremely developed. Organic farming there is also quite developed. So when people say that urban farming and organic farming can't support a society, well, Cuba is an example that refutes that. However, relying on urban farming for society's survival is something still far out of reach for Taiwan, especially given Taiwan's limited land and large population. Lots of public sector space, public land, can't be converted to different long-term use. What can be done for now is to open up rooftops for communities to use for farming. We can open up these underutilized spaces for adoption by community organizations, so they can be converted into public farming spaces. In terms of using public spaces for community farming, Fujian Borough in Taipei Songshan District provides a very good example. This farm was established in 2015. Three years earlier, in 2012, this plot of land belonged to the Ministry of National Defense. Locals fought to gain use of the land so that they could set up this farm and bring some well-needed greenery to the borough. However, ten years on, it is no more. This space here is about 500 ping, arranged in a perfectly square plot. It's very suitable for building a social housing complex. So we got caught up at such plans. The farm here was for about 10 years, and made everyone very happy. So of course, the borough residents are very upset about this. We have protested, but we came up against regulations because this plot belongs to the defense ministry. We have no legitimate reasons for blocking the return of the land to the ministry. Despite their efforts to secure use of the public land, the residents eventually had to return it to its rightful owner. The plans for sustainable urban farming were thus interrupted. After seeing urban farming in action in Taiwan, the community actively worked to build its own farm, but then faced the problem of whether it could continue to use the land. Authorities at the city and county level should clearly delineate land for fields and gardens for farming. This farm was already here and served as an important green space for this area. Arrangements should have been made to leave it the way it was, or to take another approach. There should be some plan to bring back some greenery to this space. However, if more urban farming space is found, another problem that planners will face is the busy lives of urban residents and their unfamiliarity with farming.
to close the gap between urban and rural lifestyles, the Taoyuan District Agricultural Research and Extension Station has focused on developing tech that connects the two. It's designed a network of farming sensors that city dwellers can connect to from anywhere via the internet. If your smartphone is with you, you can water crops at any time of the day. On the control panel of this web-based version, we can see all of the data at once. We can also remotely water crops from there. When the soil is too dry or too wet, we can also use a chatbot on the Line Messenger app to send a warning notification or to display the data. The Agricultural Research and Extension Station has also published a list of crops most suitable for growing in urban environments. Urban farmers can enter the floor number a garden is on, if it's within a building, the type of environment it is in, and what direction the sunlight comes from and the chart will indicate the types of crops most suitable for planting there. For example, if a person's home is in the 10th floor and their balcony faces north, they could grow bok choy, Chinese messina, crops like that. Through research that leads to new tech and software systems, urban farming is made more and more accessible to average urban residents. Through this pursuit, people can live healthier and more environmentally friendly lives. Green spaces like this are helpful during rainstorms and downpours when they act to retain water, to absorb water. Indirectly, or maybe not immediately visible to people, is the fact that plants have a calming effect on people. That's why there's this so-called practice of horticultural therapy. The stress of city life is a catalyst propelling urban farming forward. In Taiwan, more and more people are investing themselves in painting the town green. Throughout Taipei and New Taipei, based on official data, we estimate that there are roughly 50 hectares of land being used for recreational farming. 50 hectares, I'm sure everyone can imagine just how much that is. That's about the size of two Da'an forest parks, and that's spread out in different communities, residences, and building rooftops throughout the two cities. These are plots of green right within our living spaces. If we don't start with this generation, Working with youth, elementary school students at schools and in their communities to give them farming experience, then future generations simply won't have farming in their DNA. This is an extremely important issue. Whether to reduce the stress of city life or to ensure that future generations have the knowledge to grow their own food, bringing farming to cities is of growing importance. If activists and urban farmers had their way, Taiwan cities may just be a little greener in the future. At long last, we've entered winter, and the coming week will be on the cold side. The Central Weather Bureau says this week we'll see two waves of cold air. On Wednesday, the northeast monsoon will pick up, lowering the mercury down to just 15 to 17 degrees in areas north of central Taiwan. On Saturday, the season's first cold air mass will come knocking. 
bringing the temperature even lower to around 13 degrees. Let's hear from the CWB. 一周来讲都是东北季风的一个天气形态，所以我们可以看到在红色曲线的这个北台湾地区的一个温度曲线的话 ，The northeast monsoon will make up most of this week's weather pattern. We can see that this red line indicating temperature changes in northern Taiwan shows that the temperatures will tend to be cool, and that there will be a wave of cold air descending from the north on Wednesday and Thursday. The low temperatures in areas north of central Taiwan and the northeast regions will be 15 to 17 degrees. After that, there will be a break in the cold spell and temperatures will rise slightly. But after Saturday, the first cold air mass of the winter will arrive. We expect the low temperatures in areas north of central Taiwan and the northeastern regions to fall to about 13 degrees then. Open areas along the coast and plains near mountainous regions may see even lower temperatures. Also of note is a developing tropical depression over the waters east of the Philippines. The CWB will keep an eye on it to see if it turns into a tropical storm.